Welcome to the Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Maggie Mutesi and Dumi Jere, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Greetings, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on yet another episode of The Weekly Beat. I am super excited because we're coming to you from Mauritius at the Africa Economic Conference, um, discussing the opportunities, challenges uh, facing the continent at this particular time. This episode is brought to you by UNDP Africa. At a time when the world is going through unprecedented times, we're looking at a health pandemic that left lots of economies crippled, but also the war in Russia and Ukraine that has disrupted markets, rising costs, inflation, debt distress in some of these countries. How do you fast track development? How do you even raise financing? And how do you get back on track? These are some of the things we are delving deep into with Raymond Jopin. He is the Chief Economist and Head of Strategy at the Regional Bureau for Africa, UNDP. It seems like we are lagging way behind in all the goals that we actually have have set. Does that mean we have to rethink how we do development, especially in Africa? Seeing what has happened and the steps that have been taken and back and forth? Well, uh, yes, I think we need to... um accelerates our efforts in terms of development across Africa Um, because one of the reasons why African countries have lagged and I don't want you to sound all the time as if it's about money but it is about money to some extent is because the financing of development really hasn't caught up with reality on the on the continent and one in terms of the amounts needed there have been pledges. SDG 17 talks a lot about the, 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 the responsibility on the donor side to support and provide. These have not been, these have not um, materialized. And so it's not, it's made it more difficult for African countries to be able to um, get the funding they need. Second is that all, since the SDGs were announced, there has been an eva- um, evolution of development financing. Whereas in the past it was mainly concessional loans and grants, now it's not. Now it's euro bonds and <laughs> commercial yeah. loans. And what that does is that it adds an additional debt servicing um, burden to countries so that when there is any shock, whether it's a pandemic or it is drought or it's just a com- com- commodity prices slump, countries don't have that much fiscal space to respond. And so thing number one has got to be um, reforming development financing. So it is accessible, so it's affordable, and it is available when it is needed. If we can do that, a lot of countries may not meet all of the SDGs, but they will come close. Hmm. And now then the, the, the problem is that they're not as close as they're supposed, as, yeah. as they're supposed to be. When you say it should be accessible when needed, it sounds like um, it's, we have to look within to find different ways of, for example, raising the financing. How do you do that? And I think uh, a number of African countries are already doing a great job by increasing domestic uh, 
resource mobilization. That means more taxation? It just no, it means more effective taxation. You don't need increased um, taxes, but if you could collect taxes in a more efficient way, you can get more. Um, and uh, what they call improving the tax effort. Um, so it's not giving more taxes, but just doing taxes better. Like if you do taxes digitally, it costs a lot less. There was a study about um, taxing the non-formal sector. I was about to bring that and up. And what that study showed in some areas, the cost of taxing the um, non-formal sector exceeds the amount of taxes you receive from the non-formal sector. Rather than, quote-unquote, taxing the non-formal sector, why don't you just be more efficient in VAT, in indirect taxation collection, mm. and uh, let the uh, non-formal sector have a little bit of the breathing space so that they could invest in themselves and their businesses and become more established and more resilient. Because that's what you need in an economy. You need the businesses, not every time there's a shock, every, everything goes on there, but you need that resilience. And if they do have that space, most of them will become more resilient. But So that's one thing, domestic resource mobilization. The second thing is that there's a lot of idle money um, on, in and around the continent. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the sovereign wealth funds in Africa, you look at the pension funds in Africa, you add the total assets under management, it's about half a trillion dollars. But most of it is sitting outside the continent. So, so you cannot use it to even intermediate. Mm. You cannot use it as a de-risking um, tool to say, we can use it as a guarantee against a loan and therefore get the loan cheaper. There are many things you can do with assets, financial assets, that are impossible when you have these assets sitting outside the continent. And so there has to be some new thinking about Africa does not always have to be going around with a begging, begging bowl. Africa has some financial resources. This is not natural resources. You have to go to get on the ground. Money that is outside the continent. The third thing is this big issue of um, bad contracting for doing business in Africa. Um, companies um, exploit loopholes, etc. Others just like write out cheat Africa. And according to UNCTAD, about 90 billion dollars are lost to the continent every year. It's a lot of money. That's almost twice the amount of aid that Africa receives. So even if you can't stop 100% of the illicit financial flows, if you stop, even if you just stop half, that's complete, that, that could uh, def, de, defray all the um, need for development assistance. So this is, we talk a lot about the creativity in thinking through how to do development financing. And we don't have to be wedded to the old model that starts with aid 
and then everything is an add-on. I think we need a new model that starts with Africa's own resources, and then aid it should be an add-on, a temporary add-on, um, because in terms of the um, magnitude, the uh, overall amount, mm. it's not insignificant. So that is it. And the third thing is there's a lot of attention now being paid to how do you develop an instrument that would engage Africans living abroad through remittances. Yes. Currently, remittances go for mainly for consumption or for real estate in most African countries. What if um, we could learn from the, the, the um, experiences of a number of African countries mm. who have tried diaspora bonds and failed? How, what could we learn from that to have diaspora bonds that succeed? Because that in itself is another potential source of financing. But last point, whether it is diaspora financing, curtailing illicit financial flows, or um, doing work on um, the idle money question, um, there has to be some investment in public financial management. And so it's not just money coming that disappears into people's private bank accounts or that gets wasted on expenditure that's not productive. So that has to be part of part of the um, equation. That's the accountability part of that's it. That's the accountability part of it. I mean, um, I, I guess one of the things when you were speaking for me uh, on development financing, I was thinking, um, especially when you touched also on the informal sector, I was thinking of Africa's private sector and the role they really have to play. In the past, or even now in a lot of African countries, uh, the public sector overshadows the private sector. Mm -hmm. They don't really engage in, for example, massive projects or a lot of development projects across the board. I would really love to understand your views on that and looking at the fact that Africa has a young private sector, but with a lot of potential, mm -hmm. uh, so much passion, but it seems to be a missing link somewhere somehow to really understand the role they have in developing the con uh, the continent beyond just bits of financing here and there. Mm. The support should be geared towards how do we enable the private sector to do what they do well. And if they do what they do well, um, and then they are creating employment, they are increasing the um, tax contributions because of the more profits they have, etc. And they are investing in both um, research and technology and um, capacity. They are contributing. I'm, I'm always a little wary about um, viewing the private sector from a development prism. Yeah. Because you don't incorporate a, a company and say, Oh, I could make um, great microphones. Mm. Oh, but by the way, I'll also be a development agent. Mm. Um, I think that kind of complicates their role. And um, we've seen it with um, corporate social responsibility and mining companies across Africa. Yes. Um, 
So let the government take care of the regulatory framework. Let the government take care of the redistributional side of um, development financing. Let the government take care of equity and um, justice. Let the government ensure, maybe with, in partnership with the um, private sector, that, basis, that basic services like electricity and water are available and let the private sector do what they do well. Uh, looking at the, the recommendations, for example, on education, the quality of education really needed for the continent, yeah. which is beyond being uh, human um, rights for children to be in school, um, rather a right for them to be in school, it's also just for development. Uh, when it's you look a at development necessity. Necessity, obviously. Yeah. When you look at gender, and uh, the steps taken back, for example, during COVID-19, the violence, you know, domestic violence we saw on the rise uh, during that time. How do we fast track some of these things? You're absolutely right. Um, education is key. And um, there's two parts to the education. One, the basic education. Um, if you don't have an educated population, health, governance, everything else becomes problematic. Um, but also, we need a skilled population. Yes. Not just people who have gone through the educational system and uh, gotten degrees and diplomas, but you need people who are prepared for the workforce of tomorrow. And this is not just about teaching people um, how to use computers. It's about teaching uh, critical thinking, problem solving, apply the applied side of everything that they learn. And because that's what's going to do two things. One, prepare them for the opportunities of the future. And secondly, make Africa's workforce globally competitive. Um, because one of the reasons why we have uh, so much quote-unquote uh, technical assistance coming into the into the continent is because we are so dependent on um, intellectual um, input from outside and not so much um, developing it domestically. So there has to be that it's not just um, focusing on the normal educational um, process uh, or facilities, but also how do we upskill the labor force and particularly women. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Weekly Beat brought to you by UNDP Africa. Uh, you can check more of our work at www.mansamedia.africa. Our podcasts are spread out at Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music. You can be able to listen in and send us your feedback at info at mansamedia.africa. As always, here's to peace and profits. Have a lovely week ahead. The Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Maggie Mutesi and Dumi Jerry, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa.